horrible introduction. I always tell, you know, when I go into Africa, I think all the African pastors think I'm Italian. So they keep on calling me pasta. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, thank you. And we just want to echo those words we sang this morning, Lord, that your word is life. Your word speaks, and we want to pray, Lord, that your word would speak this morning and not return to you empty, Lord, but it will accomplish what you've sent it for, Lord, especially if we tackle the Psalms. That what you want to say to us this morning, Lord, um, may we pour out our souls before you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So thank you. I'm so excited to kick off this whole series about Psalms. And specifically, I'm going to be speaking around Psalm 42 this morning. If you have a Bible, it would be great for you to turn there so long. Um, and I believe that this Psalm has spoken to me so much. And I think maybe that's one of the reasons Russ asked me to open about this. But there is something that just so touched me. And I was thinking about this idea of how, how do you and I glorify God? And as I've been pondering this, I, I, I was reminded of this man called Irenaeus. Irenaeus was a first century um, church father, and he had this quote, the saying, he said, the glory of God is man fully alive. Isn't that great? The glory of God is man fully alive. The best way that you and I can glorify God is by being fully alive. So that begs the question, then, why aren't we? Why aren't we? But before I get into this message, then, this morning, let me tell you about something that happened to me this morning, and I couldn't believe it. So this morning, when I came here to church, I kind of parked here behind here by the cul-de-sac, and as I wanted to get out of my car, there was a dog. It was a big dog. It was an ugly dog. It was this vicious dog that wanted to bite me. And I realized that there was only one thing for me to do now. I had to grab my Bible and my iPad here. And I had to run from my car all the way to the entrance here. And so I grabbed everything and I started running and this dog was chasing me. I'm joking, there was no dog. <laughs> but here's the thing. Something just happened to you. I gave you information. And with the information I gave you, you started making pictures in your mind. I said there was a dog. And then you thought of your little dog at home. And then I said it was a big dog. And you saw your little dog grow. And then I said it was an ugly dog. And then you knew I wasn't talking about your dog. And then I said, it was a vicious dog. And what did you see? You saw your dog's demeanor changing. All of a sudden, what went from a closed mouth became teeth and growling, right? And then when I said I had to run and this dog was chasing me, in your mind, you were not thinking R-U-N. You were not thinking C-H-A-S-E. No, you saw the picture of me running. You see, so many times information comes at us in so many different directions. And with the information that you and I get, we start making pictures. And some of those pictures are not really based in reality. It's not based on something that God wants to say. 
And today, when I just speak to you a little bit about this psalm, Psalm 42, I hope to change some of the pictures in your mind. And that some of those pictures in your mind will start impacting your, your life and the way you think. I read this thing recently when I came back from the U.S. It says that 27 million Americans are suffering from long COVID. What does that mean? It means there's nothing wrong with them, but they still have some of the side effects of COVID. They can't smell or taste. And then I heard somebody says, he says, you know what? I think I have long COVID of the soul. I feel like I don't feel anything anymore, right? There are so many things happening, and I, I'm not happy. I'm not glad. I'm just, huh. It feels like it's gray. I'm just in this space the whole time where I just kind of feel numb. And as a pastor, and as somebody that loves the word, I don't really understand, or I don't even sometimes know how to respond to somebody like that. Because we live with them, right? They're there all the time. And that is until I get to the Psalms. And here in the Psalms, I, I find something that kind of describes the anatomy of the soul. And I say it describes because, you know, when I read a lot of Scripture, a lot of the Scripture prescribes. It prescribes to us how we should live. prescribes to us how we should believe. But the Psalms describes, it describes something about our souls. And it, and it helps me change these pictures in my mind. And the Psalms describes perfectly for us this idea of how you and I should have emotional health. It's interesting. So I was quoting this idea of, Luke, that we have to love the Lord our God. It's one of the, that's a great commandment, right? When they tested Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. Soul. I love this idea of soul. This word soul, the Hebrew word is nefesh, which, which literally occurs 130 times in the Psalms alone. There are 150 Psalms, if you didn't know that. So in almost every Psalm, we find this idea of the soul. You know, it's only in the last couple of years, five to ten years, that I'm, I'm picking up stuff around the world where everybody's starting to speak about soul care. Taking care of your soul. I heard a, a sermon recently, and the guy titled the sermon, How's Your Soul? This word nefesh, it literally means that when God says, and he breathed into man. That word breath, when God breathes into us, is soul. And he says, you know what? When you die, your soul's going to go back to heaven. So all you have actually is borrowed breath. You're just borrowing God's breath for a while while you're here on earth, right? We say we breathe out. No, we're not breathing out our last. We're just giving back to God. And every time we sing something like, I love you, Lord. It's like that, that breath is just, it's worshiping God. And see, this psalm tackles this whole idea of how is your soul? What does your soul look like? The, the soul literally means your seat of, of your emotions, the seat of your whole being, wherever you think and do from, from. And see, what the Psalms describes for us is that there is kind of crept into our lifestyle, this kind of stoicism that, you know, that we try and do so many things. We, we, we plug so many things just to keep us from actually attending 
to our souls. What is happening to our souls? And this is what brings me now to Psalm 42. This well-known psalm that mentions this word, nefesh, soul. And I want to have us look at this. But it's the story of the psalmist that in the very first verse of the psalm, he starts off with this idea of my soul pants for living waters like a deer. Do you remember we had, used to sing the song in the 90s? Ad nauseum. I mean, we killed the song. Right? As a deer. And there you go, right? It's, 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 just, it's just catchy. I mean, at one time I was like, can somebody just find this deer and shoot it? Come on. <laughs> but here's the thing. We keep on singing it to this day. Why? Because it resonates. It resonates. There's still something in the heart of, of man that, that's longing for God, longing to connect with the presence of God. Let, let's rather read this psalm together. Let's, let's read this from Psalm 42, verse 1. It says, To the choir master, a mascal of the sons of Korah, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. And while they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How, how would I would go through the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts of songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar at your water, of, um, of your waterfalls. All your breakers and all your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. And I say to God, my rock, why have you got, forgotten me? Why do I go mourning? Because of my oppression of the enemy. And as, with a deadly, um, and as with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. I love this song. Starts off by saying that this is a, a psalm from the sons of, of Korah. Who are these guys? The sons of Korah were, were paid musicians, paid by King David to be the worship leaders, to lead the procession. And they were ta paid to, to take people into the presence of God, just like what, what we did this morning. I, I, I so sat there, and as Justin was saying, I'm like, I'm counting in my mind how many verses is he singing. And I stopped counting around 23 verses. Do you know how much of the word is already washed over you? This worship isn't just, you know, um, you know, I grew up in an African school, so we used to sing, you know, when you come to church, sangaliki, hoyatiki, prekabiki. Right? And we, had, we had this idea of we sing before, you know, it's just to keep you busy and wait for the latecomers, Right? 
It's not that. It's about leading people into the presence of God. Getting your soul ready for the word that will not return to God empty. What does God want to say to, to your soul? And this is what they were. But they write here that there's something stirring inside them. There's something interesting. And there's something so counterintuitive happening in the psalm. And I don't know if you've picked this up. It's like this, this, this counterintuitive, this, this paradox. And, and this is what he says. He says that his soul is panting, longing, thirsting, different translations. But here in verse 4, he says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. And I go, but what's going on here? Uh, he says, these things are going on but I'm, while I'm trying to pour out my soul. And here's what he's saying. He says, it seems that he's thirsty. Not because he's empty, but because he's full. How many of you have had the pizza? Those pizzas with all the salami and the... And at the end, you're full, but you're thirsty, right? Because there's so much salt, right? There's, there's something. I'm, I'm full, but I'm thirsty. And this is kind of what he's, he's describing for us in, in this paradox. In order for us to be filled with the presence of God, somehow we kind of need to empty our souls first. Often our souls are kind of like those waterlogged sponges. How many of you bathe with a sponge, right? And it's so waterlogged, and, and so many times God is saying, you know what, let me take this sponge and wring, wring out everything that's not from me, so that I can fill you with everything that is from me. See, here's the problem. It's not that we are empty. It's we are too full. See, my generation, I'm a Gen Xer, right, born in the 70s. My generation, we created one of the biggest pandemics on this planet. It's called burnout. My generation, I mean, our, our parents were the baby boomers, right? And all my generation had their startups and their garages and tried to change the world, right? And, 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 and we started wearing this, this idea of burnout like a badge. How are you? Oh, I'm burnout, brother. Man, I'm just burnout. How are you? Oh, I'm busy, busy. Burnout, burnout. We started wearing it like a badge of honor. And we created this thing in the world called yuppie flu. Everybody's trying to do something, arrange something, do more, right? And we had this pandemic of depletion. But it seems like where we are today in culture, in our world, it's not that we are suffering from depletion, but from saturation. There's too many things happening for us. You know... One of the things that we're too full of is, is the reason we're too full of us is because of our news cycles. How many of us have watched the news? I, I read the news every day. I, I don't know. I have to repent, I guess. But I do read the news every day. And all I read is death and murder and killing and this thing. And guess what? I'm numb. It doesn't affect me anymore. The same way is true for you. It doesn't affect us anymore. And then even when somebody comes to us and they've got great news, oh, I'm pregnant, I've got a promotion, we look at them with indifference. Like, oh, all right. We're not glad, we're not sad, we're not mad, we're just indifferent. Our souls is in this place, of, it's just gray. 
There was a lady, she was a journalist in South Africa in the apartheid era, uh, Miani Allen. And she fled South Africa in 1994. She became a journalist um, for the New York Times. And she hasn't been in South Africa for 25 years. And so she came back to South Africa because at that time as a journalist, she was involved with a lot of high-end stuff here in South Africa. You know, always with the Miss South Africa pageants. I don't know if you remember her name. But anyway, she came back to South Africa and she did some high stuff uh, with Jacob Zuma when he was still president and all that kind of stuff. And then she went back to America and she wrote an article in the New York Times. And I read this article about her impressions about South Africa now. And she used a phrase and I thought when, she, when I heard that phrase, I said, I think she summed up every South African perfectly. She says, I find South Africans today to all be emotionally fatigued. There's so much stuff coming our way. We don't think about it anymore. But we live in houses with high fences and electric wiring and a Rottweiler that we don't feed too much so that he can bite whoever wants to come into my yard. And, right, and we put up burglar bars and, and then it's insurance and then I've got to get my kids and then it's a school. And we don't, but it's layer upon layer upon layer. And it just becomes draining. Our souls become so saturated. And maybe another thing that just saturates our souls too much is that magnitude of online acquaintances. How many Facebook friends I have. I actually went through my Facebook friends this, this week and I go, never heard of this guy before in my life. How are we friends? I don't even know who you are. Right? But I've got my thousand friends on Facebook. Right? Why? Because there's this longing in the souls of people to connect with people. There's something that, and we don't find real connection. Why? Because there's something that's just so in our souls, that's so saturated that we're not ringing out. Maybe you're in a place of leadership or in your job and you're working with other people. And, and here's the thing, if you work with other people, you start carrying their burdens. You start carrying their, their empathy around with you and, 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 and you get to that point where you're so saturated with, with other people and the only way to, to stimulate yourself is you, you watch those mindless, endless TikTok videos, right? I'm, I'm preaching to myself here, right? You go down that rabbit hole. You go, no, just 10 minutes. Before, and then you go, oh my word, I'm already 30 minutes late. And it just consumes and, and we're trying to patch. We're trying to put things, but it doesn't penetrate our souls. Come on, my soul. You remember we sang that song? Come on, my soul. We need to start speaking to this. We've become saturated. Now, I wonder, and this is absolutely just me preaching to myself here. I wonder what would happen if we took our soul on a detox. Just as much as we take our bodies on a detox. And we start eating our carrot sticks and less carbs, and we start brewing our own kombucha, right? And we put effort into that. How, what would it look like if we put our souls through a detox? And I'm not talking about this legalistic formula. I'm talking about this formation about having a, a healthy soul. And this is what happens in the psalm. I want to read this to you from verse 4. Firstly, we see how this son of Korah pours out his, his soul. He says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession 
to the house of God with glad shouts of songs of praise. A multitude-keeping festival. See, this, the sons, these, the sons of Korah, they were worship leaders. They were the guys, like, standing here with the skinny jeans and the tattoos and the long beards and the, right? And the new electric guitar. And, 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 and they're something, and they, they're leading this procession with joy and gladness, it was supposed to. It's supposed to lead, but he's saying, you know, instead of me leading people into procession, into worship, it feels like I'm, I'm dragging my new, new balance shoes into church. Right? And, and we get stuck in this whole idea from ministry responsibility becoming a spiritual reality. And it's tearing him apart. He says, it feels like I'm doing things from here and not from here. There's something wrong with this. And, and, and now, you don't have to be a worship leader to fill that gap, that gap where your soul goes, Ugh. it could be parenting. Oh man, I've got to get up again. I've got to feed these kids again. Right? There, 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 there could be whatever gap there is for you. And here's the thing about the Psalms. The Psalm says, it's okay. Psalm says, you're in good company. The Psalm says, if you feel like that, perfect. Why? Because there's a God. There's a God. Martin Luther, he, put, he said this about the Psalms. He said, the Psalms are not just the songbook of God's people, but it's the soul book of God's people. He said, the Psalms display the intricate anatomy of all parts of the soul. The Psalm says, your soul is in good company with God. So pour it out. Pour it out. See, God is loving enough. He is secure enough to deal with your soul. Your husband might not be. Your friend might not be. Your counselor might not be. Why? You know, because those are maybe good soul buddies. Good soul buddies. Good to bounce things off people. This is what I feel. This is what I'm going through. But it's only God that, that really has that compassion, that security. And his invitation is that we pour out our souls to him. There is this guy called Walter Brueggemann. He's an Old Testament scholar, specifically around the Psalms. And he speaks about that most of the Psalms are Psalms of, of orientation. It means that um, the Psalms are written where everything is going right in the world. You know, everybody loves one another. Nothing's wrong with the world. Um, you know, everything's right with the people of God. And he says... That might be true, but one-third, 50 of the 150 psalms are actually songs of disorientation, where things feel upside down. It feels like it's, 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 it's not right. I feel disoriented. And this is what Psalm 42 is. Psalm 42 is one of those psalms. It's a psalm of disorientation. And the psalmist describes his soul as being in a breaker. As being in these waves crashing over him. We all live here in Natal. Have you been to the beach lately? I remember as a kid, man, I loved coming down here to Natal, to the beach. I think the waves were, were worse then than now. I don't know. Maybe because I was a kid. I don't know. But I remember you swimming in the ocean. How many times have you had that experience? Were you swimming in the ocean and this wave crashes over you? I mean, it just kind of hits you, and you, you're coming out, you try to, and before you take that breath, the next one is hitting you down, and it, you know, it's feet over, and then the next one, 
That's how he's describing his soul. He says, as, as waters break over me. Can you relate? Our souls are overwhelming. It's one thing after the next, after the next. It just comes over us. And so for centuries, this psalm has been described as a psalm of lament. It's been described as a, a, a psalm of despair. A psalm of the paradox of the soul. But then I remember Jesus. And I quoted this when we kick-started Hebrews, right? When you approach the book of Hebrews, you approach the book of Hebrews with the idea of, but where do I see Jesus? Where do I see Jesus? In all of this, where do I find Jesus? And so when I read the psalm and I go, but wait a minute, this is not only a psalm of lament. This is actually a psalm of lament with an antidote. It gives us the antidote to the despair of a saturated soul. And he sums it up in one word. He says, hope. Hope. There is hope. In Psalm 42 verse 5, he says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil? Why do you feel like you're just being hit and hit? He says, hope in God. You all missed a great opportunity to give a standing ovation. <laughs> Do you get it? There's hope. There's hope. He says that again in verse, in, in verse 11. Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him. Why? Because He's my salvation. Right? Because of Jesus, you and I actually live with a different picture. Jesus has information. Jesus wants to say something to us that will change these pictures. That will wring out these sponges in our life of whatever is saturating you right now. So that you can empty yourself so that the Holy Spirit can start filling you up again. I want to read you this in Romans 15 verse 13. In the New Testament it says, May the God of hope could have said anything there. May the God of peace and the God of trust and the God of grace. And, no, it says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him. So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Amplified says that you may be bubbling over with hope. Now you read those words, be God of hope, fill you with all joy and peace. You might sit there and go, that's the last thing I have in my life right now. I don't have joy. I don't have peace. I used to, but now I feel, uh, I feel indifferent. God says, let me wring out your soul so that I, through the Holy Spirit, can fill you up again so that you might overflow. You have to empty yourselves. Maybe it even feels like you're drowning right now. So Jesus comes as this this antidote. In the 16th century, well, not 16th, it's in the late 13th century, there was this Italian guy called Dante Alighieri. He wrote this book called The Divine Comedy. Still considered the best piece of literature ever written in the Italian language. But he is the first guy to introduce to us this idea of what is called purgatory, right? And he wrote this book called Inferno, Purgatorio, Paradiso, right? He wrote this divine comedy in three parts. And he tried in his best way to attempt, and a lot of 
movies and paintings today is all based today still on this divine comedy. And he speaks about this picture he has in his mind of what hell looks like. And he says, when you enter hell, above the gate of hell, at the entrance of the gate of hell, there's a sign. And the sign says, abandon hope, all who enter here. See, to Dante, hell is a place of hopelessness. Maybe you're feeling like you're in that place of hopelessness. I want to give you good news. There's hope. We read this in Hebrews 11 verse 1, right? Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of what's not seen. Faith is the substance of things hopeful. See, we always talk about faith and believing in God. But one of the key ingredients of faith is hope. You cannot have faith without hope. It's one of the key. What is hope? Hope is having a preferred picture of the future. If only I could have joy and peace. If only I can have that. But it's not my reality right now. If, and we have to have this hope. We've got to fill ourselves with hope. Hope, this expectation of a better future, a better outcome, a different picture. And we have to expect that everything that Jesus laid down his life for is going to happen to me. We've got to believe this. See, this is that attitude that we need to approach Romans 15 with. May the God of hope fool you. But before he can fool you, you need to empty yourself. Fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to overflow with hope? Not with despair, not with all these other things. And there is the key. In Romans 4, verse 16, we read this. Or let me read just verse 18. It says, Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. I can't explain it. My wife says I should stop saying this, but I can't. Because you know what? I don't think I'm very clever. I'm just one of those dumb people that believe that God is going to do what he says he's going to do. Do you believe that? I know you're nodding your heads. I'm, do you believe it? Against hope. In hope. Can you believe that? Do you believe that God has a better plan for you? That God has something for you. That God wants to saturate your soul with Him. Make you hungry for the things of Him. You know, this psalm, Psalm 42, where he speaks about this despair of the soul, the saturation of the soul. It actually reminded me of Psalm 84. Psalm 84 starts with these words. For the choir director, a psalm of the descendants of Korah. To be accompanied by a stringed instrument. Same guys. Same guys. Korah. These worship leaders. Again, listen to their psalm. This is kind of for me, should have been Psalm 43, I think. But it's Psalm 84. And listen to what they say. They say, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of heaven armies. How lovely is your dwelling place. I long. 
Yes, I faint with longing to enter the courts of the Lord. With my whole being, body and soul, I will shout joyfully to the living God. He says, where am I going to find my hope? In the dwelling places of the Lord. There is this beautiful passage in Exodus chapter 33. In Exodus, Exodus 33, we read the story of how Moses would pitch a tent outside of the camp. And he called it the place of meeting. The tent of meeting. And he says, anybody who wanted to meet with God can go and speak to God in the tent. And then it says, and whenever Moses went into this tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances of their own tents. And they started worshiping God. And then Moses would go into the tent, the scripture says, and he will speak to God face to face as a friend. You know, it's a man speaking to his friend. And it says, and then Moses will come out and he will tell the people what God had said. But then there's this beautiful last verse in this chapter. And it says, but Joshua, his young assistant, did not leave the tent. Oh, I love this verse so much. Because it tells me there's three kinds of people in the story. See, the first kind of people are the people people. How many people will just come and stand at the entrance of their own tent? This is my comfort zone. Don't challenge me too much, pastor. Don't challenge me too much, cell group leader. I'm just happy to serve God from here. I'm in my comfort zone. I'm happy. Pastor, you go, like Moses, go hear from God and I'll come on Sunday and you tell me what God said. God goes, no, no, no. Become a Moses person. Where you can speak with me face to face. Where we can wrestle with the soul. Where we can wrench this thing out. And you can be filled. And what did the people say to Moses when he came out of the tent? Cover your face. For the glory of God is too strong upon you. What is the glory of God? Man fully alive it's only when you spend time with God in his dwelling places in that in a room in that bedroom in wherever you are your prayer closet whatever that looks like that's where you got to spend but see a lot of us might find our place there you know we, we 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 fill up with God and then we give out and we fill up with God and we give out and my generation perfected that burnout but then I like this verse but Joshua his young assistant would not Leave the tent. You know who took the people into the promised land? Not Moses. Joshua. You know who took the cities for God? Joshua. Why? Because Joshua said, If your presence does not go with me, do not send me from here. He's like, I'm not going to go in and out of the presence of God. I am going to dwell in the presence of God. I'm going to be the one that is filling myself. I'm going to be saturated with God. And then he says, I long, yes, I faint with longing to enter the courts of the Lord. How many of you came with that attitude to church this morning? Fainting, longing. Now, I'll put this into three categories, depending on how old you are. The Beatles. Michael Jackson. Or Justin Bieber. It doesn't matter. Go Google it. YouTube. 
Go check it out. Go look at the crowds when the Beatles came into a stadium. Look at the crowds when Michael Jackson came into a stadium. Look at the crowds when Justin Bieber comes into a stadium. And, and, and he's walking in this passage and there's people thronging, right? And they're like, <sighs> and literally before touching, they pass out. Have you seen that? <laughs> We've all seen those videos, right? People are, do we feel like that about our God? I mean, these guys all have issues. <laughs> There's only one that's perfect. One that can wring out our souls and fill us with joy and peace. Did we come with that attitude to church this morning? Man, I, I'm going to faint if I don't touch my God. I'm longing. I'm thirsting to touch God. Psalm 84 verse 10 goes on and it says, A single day in your courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. Better to be here in church today than be on the beach. Do you agree? It doesn't look like it. All right. I would rather be a gatekeeper in the house of my God than live the good life in the homes of the wicked. For the Lord God is our sun and our shield. He gives us grace and glory. And the Lord will withhold no good thing from those who do what is right. O Lord of heaven armies, what a joy for those whose hope is in you. The only hope the only key to our saturated souls is hope. And hope is not a thing. Hope is a person. His name is Jesus. It's the one that wants to not infill you, but dwell with you. Walk with you. Do life with you. Close your eyes. I want to pray for you. Jesus, this is not the normal way to... <laughs> To start a series about the Psalms, which is sometimes so joyous and so amazing, Lord. But in order for us to experience this joy and this peace that we so long for, we need to come and wrench out our own souls before you this morning, Lord. In order for us to be filled with joy, to be filled with peace, to be filled with hope, Lord, we, we, we make that decision. In this room, maybe it's online. Take that time in your, in your room, wherever you are listening online. Make this today your dwelling place. Come into this place right now and allow the Holy Spirit to speak with you. And maybe it is you that needs to pour out your soul to Him. Saying, God, I can't go on feel overwhelmed. I feel like there's so much stuff. I've been trusting you for so much. And it doesn't feel like I'm getting breakthrough. You know why? Because we've got a saturated soul. Let go. Let go of things right now. Maybe some of us need to repent. Meaning, you know, just come before the Lord and say, you know what, Lord, I've put other things before you. TikTok videos, Facebook Social media, the news I'm reading, Lord. I'm, I'm allowing those pictures to influence my life. 
Lord, I want to put those aside right now. I want to wrench them out, clean out the soul, Lord, and I want to fill myself with the pictures of your word. What does your word say that I am? What does your word say how I should live? What does your word say? Lord, this morning, I want to say my soul yearns, pants like a deer for living water. So, Lord, I want to pray that as we just come and sit in your presence this morning, come and pour out new, fresh, living water. If our souls are supposed to be saturated, let it be saturated with you. Let it be saturated with the Holy Spirit. Let it be saturated with your word. Let it be saturated with your counsel. Let it be saturated with us being close to you. Make us a Joshua generation, Lord. Make us a generation of people that will say, I am not leaving here until you fill me, until you're with me, until I'm wrenched out, filled with the Holy Spirit. So I pray that, Father, in this week, as we start this journey through the Psalms, as we start this, Lord, take us, arrest our minds, our bodies, our souls, our spirits, everything in this week, and bring us to attention, Lord, of the things that we need to wrench out. We need to get rid of. So that in the weeks to come, Father, you will give us the tools. You will give us everything to show us how to live this life of hope. I pray that over their lives. May the God of hope fill you. Pray that, Father. Fill them with hope. I stretch my hands over this congregation and bless them this morning. In the name, above all names, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you. God bless you.